Home health care is one of the primary ways homebound seniors in rural communities can receive the health care they need, but providing that care is no easy feat. So, how do rural home care providers deliver the best care possible to elderly populations? With a focus on quality, dedication to helping others, and a genuine connection. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 114 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, I'm excited. Today, our guest is someone who is working with and has worked with over the last few years, our homebound population, many of them who are older, obviously, Mm -hmm. and uh, she has firsthand experience with elder care in rural America, and it's in the home setting. Right. Which is where the payers now, Rachel, are driving a lot of this care Mm -hmm. post-hospital discharge back into the home. Right. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but I'm excited to have our guest with us. That's right. We're talking with someone who leads a team that provides personal in-home care to patients who need it most. And I'm telling you, this individual is so passionate about what she does and about patient care. You, It just exudes from her. She's one of those people. You have one conversation with her and you're like, she loves what she does and the people she takes care of. She really does. And and just today in the studio, her smile just says it all right now. So if you could just, if we, if this was viewable, it would just yes. melt the hearts of our listeners because our guest today is none other than our own Kathy Coe, director of Hillsdale Hospitals, Hillsdale Home Care here at Hillsdale Hospital. And so I want to welcome you for the first time ever, right? Yes. Kathy Coe to Rural Health Rising. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here to discuss a topic that is so important to our community. It sure is, isn't it? It is. So to start, Kathy, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Hillsdale Home Care. Because you haven't always been with Hillsdale Home Care. You've done a lot of things. She's done a lot. Yes. But I've had a desire for nursing ever since I was a young girl. We had home care help take care of my Mm great-grandmother, and that was um, how we were able to keep my grandmother at home. Wow. And we had therapy, physical, and occupational that helped with strengthening and giving us the correct tools to be able to keep her there and help her be as independent as possible. Mm -hmm. And now I'm proud to say that I am part of Hillstall's home care team of experts and that we provide those same services to our community. So let me ask you, Kathy, a personal question. Was it Hillsdale's home care that you had or was it a different one at the time? You know, I honestly don't know. But you do remember what that entailed. And ultimately it entailed keeping grandma at home. Yes. And that's critically important, isn't it? Yes. And having those people come in and show us how to do things, it was... Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in just Mm -hmm. a minute, Mm -hmm. about your passion and what the types of things that you're doing. But it's really incredible to hear how it comes full circle. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. And in your life, it, it certainly has. So, well, we've learned a little bit about who you are and what you do. And what we like to do on this podcast is start every one of them with a question. And it's a question that we ask each of our guests, and it is the why. And so we want to know, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the things that you do to take care of this community? The why is knowing that I can make a difference for our community. 
we're able to take care of each patient as an individual when you go into the home. Mm-hmm. When you make a care plan at the hospital, you have no idea what the resources are at home. Right. Mm. And a lot of times we go in and they're not available. Mm-hmm. So we help provide those resources and give the family the education they need to be able to get their family member, their loved one, back to their prior level of function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Kathy, let's follow up a little bit about that. Um, you know, we, we learn about the patient in the home. And uh, right now, as I shared with Rachel in our intro, how important that is for driving a lot of the reimbursements, mm-hmm. you know, is that you have to keep the patient in their home, uh, which is important. Uh, the patient cannot readmit to our hospital within 30 days or the hospital doesn't receive payment. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of incentives to keeping the patient home, not just financial, but also in their environment. So... Tell us a little bit about home care in general. I, I know this is your passion and, you know, obviously um, you, you don't need to be prompted to talk about this, but what all does home care entail? Because it's not just you going to the home and checking their meds, right? No. So talk to us about what it does entail and what it does not entail. Okay. Skilled home care, which is what we are skilled, where mm-hmm. you have to have a skilled medical need, is part of the Medicare benefit. And we have to follow certain regulations and criteria for that. The patient has to have a skilled medical need, and they have to be what is considered homebound, Mm -hmm. meaning that it's a taxing effort for them to leave home, and the primary reason that they leave home is to seek medical treatment. Skilled Medicare provides education for disease processes, medication management, medication Mm -hmm. education, and we also provide all types of wound care, IV therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, mm-hmm. and speech therapy. Wow. So it's more than just showing up to administer meds. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about, let's dive into the speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. What does that entail? Are you doing that? Your nurses? Our nurses are not doing that. We okay. have actual um, certified therapists. Hmm. They're licensed. And they are physical therapists, the occupational and speech all work together to make sure the patient has everything that they need. Right. And so, Kathy, you know, in, in I guess, describing this, we're talking about a continuum of care, right? It's not just you in the home. You're, you're working with PTOT services and you have to coordinate with that company uh, because we have a contractor for that. And um, do, do you find that that relationship is good? Um, with those vendors? Yes. Okay. And let's talk a little bit then about the patient in the home, and we're going to expound on that in just a minute. But I guess the, the, the root of it is there are some patients that you're coming into contact with that have no family support. Is that correct? That is correct. It's got to break your heart. Oh, yes. And that's why we stay in until we can set them up with the services they need. We also work with the Senior Center, Region 2. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of times that they've met their goals with us, but they will still never have somebody that can come in and help them bathe, and they're not able Mm -hmm. to ever get to the point of bathing themselves. And we're there just for a short time. We're a transition. And so we set them up with services such as the non-skilled home cares so that they can have those services. You know, Rachel, we have a friend and it really brings us home. 
uh, two friends actually recently. One one went home on um, home care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ended up going home on hospice. But with in in my understanding is hospice cannot intersect with home care, right, Kathy? No. Um, so the services that you receive in hospice has to be independent of home care. Home care is rehab, right? So that's where you talk about the skilled. Yes. So therefore, if you're on hospice, you can't have life-saving treatments. It's it's end of life. So right. in both of those cases, though, in the one particular case where patient went home to home care, it was just him. There mm-hmm. was the wife had passed. Mm-hmm. Children were out of the area. No grandchildren around. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Mm-hmm. In the other case with hospice, it was just him and his wife. And that also is pretty daunting to think about, you know, having services. So I would submit to you, Kathy, that in the first case where patients going home to home care, it's all they got. It is. And you have to think that they need to get out and get prescriptions. Yeah. Who's going to cook for them. Yeah. So that's why we set them up with those other resources right. so that someone can help pick up those meds yeah. because that's something that as a skilled home care, Medicare does not allow us to do. So mm-hmm. basically you're doing case management. Yes. So so when you're doing case management, have you ever done case management before? Yes. I think you have, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that helped in this role, doesn't it? Yes. Doing case management because you are finding resources. Now, the way that it works when they're under your care plan, they, you as nurses can't go out and physically do chore assist, right? No, we cannot. And you're not right. doing script picked up, pickups or food pickups or, but you can arrange for them to get a prescription. Yes. And unskilled home cares and Region 2 and Senior Center can be in there with us. Mm-hmm. I know hospice cannot, but other unskilled cares can. Right, right. Kathy, have you ever, I mean, have you ever heard of this word for respite care? Yes. Is that a thing that we do? No. Okay, and some home cares, do they do it or no? Some do. Some do it. But that's where we give families a chance to kind of take a break. Um, but ultimately, what you're doing is just right in the home delivering those services. And the goal is to keep them independent, hopefully, at home yes. and out of the hospital, which is the highest cost of health care. Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, and our skilled nursing facility does offer respite care. It's so true. that is an option, right? Yes. Um, and we do set them up a lot of times mm-hmm. with um, our skilled nursing facility. Right, sure. right. And sometimes from skilled nursing, there may, do we have patients that are discharged from skilled nursing and then are then um, receiving home care right after that? Yes. It so goes, it's kind of like the next, right? Because if you're in acute care and then you go into skilled nursing rehab and then you go into home care, it's just kind of stepping your way mm-hmm. back into your daily and normal life, your normal function that you're at before. Yes, but not all of our patients come from the hospital. So right. that's why sometimes we'll get a referral from a physician's office. A direct referral. Yes. And that is the time some that sometimes we need to hmm. make them a referral for the skilled nursing facility because we go in and they just are not safe at mm. home. They need more alone. than what you can yes. even do with home care, you find. Yes, because we're not there 24-7. Right. So they really need someone that is there 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of the conditions and the symptoms, maybe, um, what patients are dealing with when you're going in to take care of them. You mentioned a skilled care need. Um, what what does that entail? What are some common things that maybe people might be familiar with that could necessitate home care? Obviously, they have to be homebound, so that's part of the criteria. But in terms of their 
physical health? What types of conditions are you typically seeing? I know it runs the the gamut, but as some examples. Correct. Um, A lot of them that we get from the community, from the physician referrals instead of the hospital, it might be CHF, COPD, and they've had an exacerbation of their condition, Mm. and they've become really weak. So from the time the physician had seen them at their previous visit to then, they've seen such a decline that they want to put us in to help strengthen this patient so that they can remain home and not end up in the Mm -hmm. hospital. Mm -hmm. And then we also do like IV therapy. Right. Otherwise, the patient would have to come into the hospital several Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. a day. We do wound care because the patient otherwise would have to go to a wound care center three Mm -hmm. times a week, where Mm -hmm. we can go in a couple of those times, and then they can just go to the wound care center Mm -hmm. once a week, Mm -hmm. which saves them from having to get out and helps their family. Right. So what makes something a skilled care need versus a non-skilled care need? Is it like activities of daily living versus, you know, the kind of things you were just talking about? Right. A skilled need is something that is caused, has to be caused by a medical condition. Okay. And like I said, like the CHF, like they're having problems breathing because of the fluid overload Mm -hmm. and they need medication management and education because they're not taking them correctly. Okay. And so we go in and we set those meds up. We teach them about their meds. We teach them about the side effects as well as what's going to happen if you don't take them right when they're prescribed and teach them to do their weights daily, all those things that help keep them out of the hospital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk. So in keeping them out of the hospital, we've established what home care literally means delivering (laughs) care at home. But let's talk about that because, you know, from a personal experience, uh, my wife during COVID, uh, who's a registered nurse, decided that she was going to help uh, our cause here. And she decided that she's going to administer vaccinations in the home. And Kathy, I got to tell you, you know, as a worried husband that I am, you know, former cop, you know, I'm just distrusting everybody. uh, (laughs) And, and, some of the places my wife went, I kind of scolded her a little bit about, uh, are you kidding me? You know, you went to that area or that area. And if I know um, Tressa, she was like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And she, I didn't even tell you until two days later. Yeah. And I'm like, but don't you realize what could have happened? But but let's talk about that experience because it is totally different environment. You're walking into someone's home. It's mm-hmm. not a sterile setting. Uh, you don't know what you're getting into. And I remember an email to my office a couple of years ago um, where a family was angry because home care was there and the member of one of the members of the family didn't want you guys there and we had to get the police involved. I also remember a time when I actually directed home care for about a year in which we had a volatile situation involving one of the patients who themselves were given the staff a hard time. So, There is no support. There is no resources or backup. You're out there alone. Some parts of our community with no cell phone coverage, it can be very, very challenging and scary. So what is that experience like from your perspective? Um, And how is it to walk into a new patient's home for the first time? Uh, Obviously, it can be daunting, but tell us about what that experience is. To enter the home for the first time, I think everybody is always very alert. 
because you don't know what you're walking yeah. into. Yeah. And if you feel unsafe, we always make sure that you call the office. The office always knows where we are. Mm-hmm. We make out a schedule in the morning, and then everybody leaves their schedule with our receptionist so that we know where you are approximately at mm-hmm. what times. Okay. If you feel unsafe, you make an excuse that you have to leave to go get supplies mm-hmm. or whatever you need to do to mm-hmm. keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we never argue with them. It's H- their have home. You found, have you found yourself in those situations? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and do you find that it's because just it's it's new to them? Do you find or what what is the catalyst for that? Why wouldn't someone want help? I really don't know why they wouldn't find help. Yeah. But a lot of times they're hiding things. Yeah. At home. There's reasons. Like we've gone there. I mean, we go in many homes that have illegal yeah, substances drugs. and things yeah. like that that they should not have. Well, let's transition that conversation then into something else. So, you know, you're dealing with a lot of elderly. Mm-hmm. It's probably different walking into their home. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, you probably get the, well, let's have tea, honey, and let's, you know, talk about old times and probably a different environment. Yes. Would you say it is? Yes. Why don't you talk to us about the elderly experience? And I'm sure it probably even breaks your heart at times to walk into an elderly house where they have no support. Talk to us about what that experience is like. That is so true because I think every one of my nurses have experienced that where they've gone in and the patient hasn't had anything to eat for a while. And though it's not our job to do that and mm-hmm. we're not set up Supposed to do that, to, right. Right, right? we still do. We still make sure they have something to eat before they leave and try to make sure that their environment is as safe safe. as possible. Mm -hmm. And we do get involved with APS. So there are times where you have to report a condition, correct? Yes. Yeah. And and, in a lot of reasons, Kathy, when you work discharge planning, you would know that you are, you know, your job in discharge planning on the hospital side was to safely place the patient back into their environment, right? Correct. But you're not there to know what goes on every day. The mm-hmm. hospital has no way of knowing what's really no. going on. It's really on. based on what the patient is sharing with yeah. you about their home environment when they're here and you're doing discharge planning. And yeah. then you guys are kind of the next line of defense for patients who have home care afterward. Obviously, not all patients do. But. And a lot of them are embarrassed to say what the situation is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And even when we're in there, they're embarrassed by it. But we just right. talk them through it and we find out you know, what we can do to make it safe mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I know, especially with our elderly populations, it's a different generation in terms of values and perceptions and things like that, right? Every generation's kind of got their own their own things. Um, but I feel like with the elderly population, do you run into a lot where they're struggling with the fact that they want to be more independent than they are? And so they have a hard time accepting help or they have a hard time not, quote unquote, hosting you while you're there. You know what I mean? Or do you see that as, as one of the challenges that people are just like, I don't want to have to have help. I wish I could do it myself kind of thing. Not usually the elderly. Okay. Um, though that usually comes from some of our younger patients that for whatever reason, they are stuck at home. Okay. Um, our elderly usually... <laughs> A lot of times, we're the only person they see yeah. a couple times a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're happy to have us there. Okay. And so we try to make conversation as we're doing our work so that we can still get in and get out, mm-hmm. but take the best care possible of them. Right. Well, and social isolation is such a huge 
you know, factor when it comes to health outcomes even. So I'm sure seeing you there and you having that social interaction with them makes a huge difference. Yes. And they love to tell their stories. They Mm -hmm. do. Oh, they do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just listening. Yes. That really makes a difference. Right. What kind of impact have you seen, speaking of health outcomes, on your elderly patients in particular from, let's say, when you first started seeing them, your first initial visit to the time that we're, you know, done and they're discharged from our service? Um, What have you, how have you seen those patients change, whether it's their demeanor or their health or their abilities? What are some of those impacts you've witnessed? I think it impacts all parts of them because they're always weak when we go in, Mm. no matter what the situation is. It seems like they have lost some of their strength and them gaining that back, even if it doesn't involve therapy, but getting them taking their medications correctly, teaching them their diet and not um, having the fluid overload that they had mm. previously or any of those things, they get stronger. And as they get stronger, they get more confident, they're able to move around better, and they're happier because mm-hmm. they're more independent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know there's a generation right now that are taking care of their elderly parents or grandparents. They're actually moving mm-hmm. in with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the, and I say pleasure and privilege of moving my mother in. Uh, and I would recommend that to anybody. And I know that that is not tongue in cheek. I think the opportunity to create a generational household for your children, their grandchildren to hear stories, uh, it developed our children and grew them in ways that nothing else would, no no public education or private education would do. And so, um, however, the task of taking care of an elderly patient is overwhelming, can be daunting at times, especially if they're suffering from, you know, long-term uh, illnesses, mm-hmm. and that can be a significant challenge. So it, someone listening today, let's say it's it could be another home care professional, you know, like you, or it could be a family member. What types of things do you recommend to these folks uh, that they can do uh, for this population? If let's just start with the caregivers first, what recommendations would you give for how to adequately take care of that patient and advocate for them? And then also for the family member, what types of suggestions would you give for them as well? The first thing I would say is to have patience. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. don't want your elderly loved one does not want to be in the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. So please try to have patience with them. If they've told the story a hundred times, let them tell it a hundred and one. Right, yeah. right. And ask for help because you do get burnout. Sure. You get tired and there's so many resources out in our community that you can get help for your loved one, even at home living with you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that they're in their own home. And so many people are afraid, well, they'll lose everything if they ask for this help. That's mm-hmm. not true either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and also then for for the family member who is just exhausted or overwhelmed, um, what, I guess, what services, how do they advocate to get those services for you? So in other words, it's not post-discharge from a hospital. It's just they've noticed that there's something going on with mom and dad. Um, do they have the privilege or luxury of calling you directly, or do they have to get the physician referral? I think they, we need to talk about that. Yes, they do have to have a physician order. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they all we do is recommend that they go see their primary care physician because we have to have or 
signed orders from right. the physician. And they're very specific because we yeah. worked on your referral form yes. together for your physician, for our community physicians to make sure that all the right information is on there so that you can start the case with that patient, yes, right? because you need to have a face-to-face. You have to, and those can be done televisit now. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. rules have changed. Um, but you do need that face-to-face and you do need to have the physician order and the physician stating that the patient is homebound for whatever reasons. Because mm-hmm. the reason may not be that they can't get out, but the physician doesn't feel it's in their best interest to get out because their immune system is so low. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, what if they have cancer? There's all kinds right. of reasons. But they can just call their physician, make an appointment, and the physician is always happy to write the order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of the physicians are going to listen to the family who are saying, we've noticed this yes. in mom right. or dad, and right. we need some support and some help. Kathy, I want to ask you another uh, question. When, when is the appropriate time to advocate for home care and advocate for hospice? Can you help us understand that? When there is not a chance of that patient getting any better. Okay. And we have many times talked to the family as home care, talked to the family and explained to them that no matter what we do, there's not going to be an improvement. They are at mm-hmm. their baseline and they're only going to decline. Mm-hmm. Right. So we explain exactly what hospice is so that they will come in and make sure that they're still taken care of, but they won't have any life-saving Measures. measures. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And um, they can graduate from hospice. Just say mm-hmm. they did get better. And I always let them know that, too. Right. That, you know, just because at this time, if your condition continues on as it is, that life expectancy is less, six months or less, it does not mean that you can't improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you can. And we've had people come back from hospice. So you have actually hospice. witnessed that? Yes. Wow. Really? Yes. Is that hard to switch with insurances or no. with the government or anything? No. So it's pretty... It's pretty easy. We work very huh. well with hospice hand in hand. Yeah. 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 Do you have... I mean, because I've heard of people being on hospice for years, but you just be. said six months or less. Is that a typical standard before someone can go on hospice that they have that life expectancy? Or is it more about really all you can do at this point, not knowing their life expectancy, but all you can do is just maintain and help them to have the best quality of life they can in their current condition. Well, only God knows when you're going to (laughs) die. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And, but the physician does know if your condition continues on, Mm -hmm. declining as it is at that time, more than likely you would have six months or less. That mm-hmm. is when you would go on hospice. Okay, okay. But for both home care, so let's back up a little bit. For home care and the patient that's certified to be on home care, mm-hmm. it is not endless forever, home care. No. So who gets to determine, the insurance companies or you? Because we've got to tackle this issue. Yeah. Well, it's we decide when our patient has met their goals because we get the goals made up at the beginning through the plan of care. But -hmm. there are times when the insurance company will not authorize more visits. What do you do in those cases? You can't continue seeing the patient, unfortunately. So you have to physically walk into the home of the patient and say, we can no longer see you. Mm -hmm. Does that patient have any choice to do private pay? Yes. 
And have you ever had that situation? Yes. And we then do. we have some private duty patients that we yeah. take care of. A lot of times, if they won't allow us to continue regular visits, they'll allow us to do a maintenance program just to keep them at the level that they are. And then we mm. see them like twice a month. So is that hard to switch them back from, uh, let's say they were on medical uh, approval from, from the insurance company, then they don't certain qualify, therefore then you allow them to stay on for private pay. Is it hard to put them back on? If something happens in their condition. Qualifying event? Yes. What would that be? Give us, can you give us an example of what that would look like? They ended up in the hospital with an exacerbation of their congestive heart failure. Mm -hmm. And they were in the unit. And once they get out of there, they have declined. Mm -hmm. And they're not at their prior prior level of function. Mm -hmm. Then they would qualify. Okay. Okay. I don't know that we how much we want to get into the weeds on this, but this topic is really important in home care right now because it's been affecting the home care industry as a whole and its viability, mm -hmm. um, which then, of course, in turn impacts access. But the insurance companies within the last couple of years have changed the way that they reimburse, right? It, it, what, it, what, there's one method that's called episodic, and then I can't remember what the other one is. PDGM mm -hmm. is the current. Mm -hmm. What does that even stand for? Well, what they do is they take the patient's conditions and they put them into groups like a neuro group, mm -hmm. a rehab group, a comorbidity group, mm -hmm. all those things. And then that's how you're reimbursed. The problem is, is they keep taking away. They keep putting in more and more cuts. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now they're looking at more cuts for 2024. Oh, yeah. Right, right. And um, the National Association of Home Care is fighting that. Yeah. yeah. They are currently in the process of that. So that is, is that, that's the, so is episodic was the previous way that you would be paid and that would be per visit? Is that right? No, episodic was per episode, which was a 30 or 60 day period. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. It's your CERT period. Got it. Got it. So now with the PDGM. You are basically it, whatever the condition or group that they're in. It's that's how much you're going to get paid for doing home care for this patient, regardless of how many times you go out. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It's it yeah. is. It's. We've never been paid no. per visit ever. No, it's, okay. It's okay. quite unique. And Rachel, what also happened that's a disruptor in the market in Michigan. Is, in Michigan, that's closed a lot of our home care offices. Mm -hmm. the, what we would traditionally call the mom and pops, not disrespectful to them. That means they're not connected with a big health system. Right. It has right. A big the bank the small family yeah. owned independent companies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're out of business. Yeah. And this occurred because of auto reform. Mm -hmm. uh, no fault auto reform in Michigan had a negative impact uh, on what home care was able to do. And that's because of post accident, who's responsible for paying that bill right. Right. to the patient. Mm -hmm. and, well, that, and it basically has meant that a lot of patients are not getting the care getting they the need care. after having an accident. Kathy, can you no. talk a little bit about that? Because you've it's had experience terrible. before the legislation and after. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? We were able to take care of many patients that were paralyzed from auto accidents, tube feeders from auto accidents, whatever they may be. And now we have to be very careful on taking those patients that would be on for long term. We can only really take the patients that have fractures or something. 
something mm-hmm. of that sort mm-hmm. that are going to heal mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Right. And it's still scary taking on an auto insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. It really is. Right. And is that the same for like long-term acute care or long-term skilled nursing facilities as well? Does that hit them the same way it does home care? It, it really I doesn't so. to that it's degree. Just for it's, the, just, it's just the home care it's the, Yeah, it's that piece of a post-hospital discharge and who takes care of the patient the rest of their life. Right, You have right. to remember some of the cases we've had historically could be a lifer case. Right, exactly. And that patient would need that care. Now that patient does not get that care. So essentially they would have to go to a facility to oh, yeah. get that care. They rehab cannot center, get it at home. No, rehab because center. Because it won't be paid for. Right. Yeah, we had several patients that we've had that were auto in the past mm-hmm. that we had forever because those patients not only have, like, just say they're paralyzed and can't move around, they then end up with those chronic bed sores. Right. They end up with so many other things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so many other comorbidities just because they're unable to move. Right. And now we can't take those patients. Yeah. Which yeah. means they don't have the ability to stay in their own home with their family. They have to end up and imagine where, in a facility instead when there was a world before they could have they could have lived the rest of their life yes. at home with that care coming in. Right. And then just think of, of where the cost shifts then, because right. now the cost is cheaper to deliver care in the home than it is in this big monstrosity called a hospital. Right. In fact, our costs are many times more than mm-hmm. it costs to take care of a home care because we have to pay for all the overhead and right. the rooms, et cetera. So if the government got it right, they would actually be talking about, wait a minute, how do you drive those costs down? Do we really want to rehab that patient the rest of its life in a institution or a, you know, within a very highest cost structure in healthcare, the hospital, right. or should we keep them at home? Right. And the I would goal, be interested to see, you know, what kind of health outcome differences there might be based on being at home versus being in a facility for a patient with equal, you know, starting point. But in terms of yeah. what the the mental and emotional benefit of being at home I'd be curious to see data on how that impacts their long-term That's exactly health. where it's going to impact them, mm-hmm. is their mental yeah. health is going to decline their physical right. health. They're not yeah, with sure. their family. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, Kathy, we could you know talk all day about this topic because you're passionate about it. Um, I guess one last question before we close out today is uh, maybe someone's listening to this podcast today and are thinking, you know what, I need a change in my career. And I'm, I'm delivering services at, you know, the Hospital X, and I'm thinking about home care. Do you think it's a rewarding career to get into in a position? It's very rewarding. When you're in the hospital setting, you can only do so much for that patient. You have other lights going off. You can't pay 100% attention to mm-hmm. an individual patient at one time. You're also able to see, like I said earlier, the resources they have. What can you really do to make a plan of care that will help them get better and maintain their health? And you just get that personal touch. Mm-hmm. 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 It's very personal. And yes, I love it. It's, well, it's very nice. You can see it on your face. And if you're listening today and you're considering uh, home care as a career, we would encourage you to do that and to follow that passion and to help those who are in desperate need, many of them without family resources, 
Uh, you can be that voice for them. You can be the patient advocate. You can be the caregiver. Uh, you can deliver the case management services all in one job known as a home care nurse provider. And so, uh, Kathy, it's been great to have you on the podcast today. We hope someday you can join us again. Uh, but we want to thank you for your time and your dedication and the great care that you give our patients and for the wonderful job today uh, on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> So before we close, we love to do a fun segment with each of our guests. We want to know, Kathy, you've been rural most of your life, right? Yes. You've been a big city slicker, right? Living nope. in those big fancy <laughs> towns like Rachel and Texas and all those places. I live so, in a suburb of a big oh, fancy town. suburb of a big Texas. But her suburb's yeah. probably bigger than the town I grew up in. But anyway. That's true. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee it is. Population 27. So, uh, you know, we want to know, and our listeners want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? And trust me, we've heard it all. Amish buggies parked out in the ER, uh, tractors being driven into work, snowmobiles, uh, politicians being chased down the road by chickens. We've heard it all. <laughs> so um, in your estimation, you know, I know you and your husband are rural folks. Uh, can you name a, a time and experience that's unique to rural life that would give our listeners a pause? Mm -hmm. Well, there was a time when I was out seeing a patient, and unbeknownst to me, their cat got in my car because my windows were down because oh. it was hot out. Oh. And <laughs> even when I got back in the car to leave, I still had no oh, idea no. that that cat was in there. It never made a sound, nothing. Oh, really? I went home that night. You pull in the garage, you roll up the windows, shut the doors, and you go to, to bed. The next morning when I went to get in the car. That cat pounced out of that car so fast. It scared me. Oh my God. Did you wonder where it came from? I did at first. And then I figured it out. Oh, you did? I did figure it out. And luckily I, I knew exactly where it came from too, mm -hmm. because had you, had there was you... many cats okay. there. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Are you sure there was, was only one? Part of a club. <laughs> yes, it was part of a club. So yeah, it was from that cat lady. And so oh, I ended no. up calling her and telling her she needed to be my first stop of the next of that day. So so that I could deliver her cat back to her. <laughs> Meow or wow. That's all I can say. Did you how hard was it to get the cat back? Oh, in the it car? was hard. It was very oh hard. Oh my god. It well, did yeah. not want to come see me at all. Calling you probably bribery. Bribery does work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Food and milk. Oh, my Some gosh. milk yep. and wow. And you took the cat back. I did. And the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Kathy, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. 